Art is not about reproducing your subject. It's about abbreviating and showing a small sliver of the world that appeals to you. Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio, and welcome to episode 124 for whenever. <laughs> this is not the this is not the end of July. This is the whenever in July. I decided to uh well, you know, forego my schedule because I had the opportunity to have a uh, special guest on who you'll hear in a moment. And you know what? I couldn't wait a week. I figured the world really needs some good energy and input and creativity talk. And uh, why wait a week? Because we don't know what's going to happen in a week. So, uh, yeah, I know I said I'd be doing uh, maybe one show a month. But you know what? Uh, Things are working out this week and today and yesterday. So, you know, I'm not waiting. So to get right into a very small intro, I was able to... Uh, get um, uh, a great photographer named Dan Bailey to join me and uh, talk uh, to me. I've been watching Dan's videos on YouTube, and uh, there was one episode, uh, I'll talk about it during the the interview, uh, that really really just drew me in, and I said, i got to talk to this guy. And so uh, with the help of my buddy Brian Muneer, thanks, Brian, for hooking up me and Dan I really appreciate it. And uh, future ideas, the three of us will be on a show at some point. <laughs> I think I want to talk to these two guys together. But uh, thanks, Brian, for hooking us up. I just wanted to talk to somebody who shares some of the same passions uh, that I do about photography and even some of the same equipment. And uh, so this is going to be a little bit, you know, there's a little gear talk in this, but uh, it, it does relate back to creativity and uh, the energies that we spend with our photography and uh, the things that we can do uh, to better the world. So without further chatting about this, I'll just go right into uh, talking to Dan Bailey. Here we go. Dan, thanks for coming on my show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah. Since I, I won't I, be able to come to New York this fall, this is be my virtual New York visit. Virtual New York visit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... <laughs> Yeah, we, we met briefly at PPE two years ago. Brian Manier, uh introduced me. You're on your way out. Uh, I, I looked at you and I was like, oh, you're the guy who wrote the Fuji book that <laughs> that I use as my manual for my Fuji X system. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to have you on the other side and have your attention for a little while. Yeah, it's uh, as I said, it's fun to be here. I, I enjoy talking with photographers. Uh, I, I actually I enjoy doing podcasts. I think it's a lot of fun to to have this kind of loose conversation that that can go really anywhere. I, it's it's fun to veer off and and see where these conversations go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Virtual uh, coffee shop or beer or whatever your yeah. beverage of choice is. So yeah. So anyway, I want to jump. I, I I was looking at your bio, right? Right, uh, and. I noticed, just to go back to that, you said you worked as a photo editor at a Boston stock agency. I did. Can I ask the agency? Would you mind? Or Yeah, yeah. It was called Light Sources Stock. Light and, Sources Stock, yeah. And it was a small agency. It was owned by a woman named 
uh, Pat Hunt, Patricia, Patricia Hunt. Uh-huh. And she was, she had been in the photo industry in Boston for years. She had been a model. She had been, uh, uh, she had been married to a photographer. She'd just been, you know, really entrenched in the, in the industry and in the, in the community there. And so she had a store called Light Sources, which was uh, a little professional store where a lot of the pros who had studios around the city mm-hmm. uh, would come and buy film and processing and developing stuff like papers and chemistry from her. And uh, because they just, she was such a charismatic woman and everyone loved and respected her. So a lot of the pros, some would even trek across, halfway across the city to come buy film from her. And so at one point she started a small stock agency, you know, basically her contributors were all of those customers. Oh, really? Who yeah. shot for her uh, or who, who had bought her film and stuff. And so it was, it was small, but uh, we managed to get some decent clientele. And, mm-hmm. and so I, uh, I can't remember how I actually had found Light Sources. <laughs> I probably just had bought stuff there and got to know them. As I mm-hmm. was as a customer, and I eventually, uh, at one, one time, she called me and asked me if I could come one day a week to do some assistant editing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sorting and captioning and keywording and filing slides. And I said, sure, absolutely. And so I did that. And then after a while, I said, can I do this full time? And she said, okay. And and so she. Uh, Really? She took me on, I, and so I became the assistant editor, uh, and I did everything from filing slides to negotiating, and with with the clients that we had. So, so uh, you're um, you said you're from Colorado, right? Originally, I'm yeah, from Originally? Colorado, and then I moved back there right uh, after Light Sources was my last job in Boston, uh-huh. and so I moved back to Colorado in the fall of '95. And stayed there for 13 years. Oh, wait. Let me go back to Boston. How did you How did you end up in Boston? If I may ask. So I lived. I went to Boston to go to Berkeley College of Music. Okay. Because okay. I was a guitar yeah. player. Yeah. All right. And so I actually de- graduated with a degree in recording engineering and music production. Wow. Uh, but while I was at music college, while I was at Berkeley, uh, I had bought a camera just kind of on a whim. I I had always thought photography was cool, and I and I had a work study job at the front desk and I had some extra cash burn a hole in my pocket. And instead of buying more music gear, I decided to buy a camera one time. <laughs> and so I fell in love with it instantly and, and just kind of started, just started to consume my life. And by the time I graduated, I had a pretty good idea that I would rather be a photographer than a recording engineer or a producer, uh, simply because, uh, I didn't. I, I figured I would much rather spend my life and career taking pictures outside than sitting in smoky smoky bars and w- win- <laughs> windowless recording studios at all hours of the night. You know, uh, you could mix the two. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I have, and I. Oh, you o- did. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, I've I've continued to be fascinated with music production, mm-hmm. and I've always had music recording software on my computer. And so now I am, in a sense, combining them with the YouTube. Mm, uh, that's true. Yeah. Because not only do I do some of the music for my, like some some of the bump music, actually the ending, a lot of the intro bumps uh, are stock pieces, but I aim to 
convert you know eventually make all the music make your own yeah the ending bump is my guitar uh and then uh i actually have done a couple of sort of music videos one real music video that was actually a song uh that i wrote about dr fauci yeah that was on your uh, that's on your video playlist i haven't watched that one yet. yeah <laughs> and then earlier in the winter i had done uh, i had put together a montage uh of I shot a bunch of aerial photography footage out the window of my Cessna. Yeah. And and I put that to, I wrote an original piece to that. So I, I have combined them and I, I've wanted to do that for years. And I'm finally really excited that I can, that I found a really good way to, to put those two together. Because I'm oh, fascinated with both. Uh, almost on an equal level, and I, well, music and imagery is a nice. I mean, it's yeah. you know kind of like a natural. There's a natural combining of those things. I mean, I love seeing pictures. You know, not I'm saying video, but pictures and music overlay and stuff like that. It's just it it deals with enhancing emotions and. Well, it does. The music yeah. has a very profound effect on the brain. Yeah, and and it can enhance, definitely enhance how we. What well, obviously enhances how we perceive our, our visual input because i mean every it's you know it's done in movies and to great effect and yeah and so yeah i i'm i'm continuously fascinated with with music and recording and to the point where that if i wasn't a photographer i could easily picture myself uh having a music blog uh, and doing podcasts about you know breaking down songs and songwriting techniques and guitar stuff and uh, it's easily it's easy for me to geek out on guitar stuff <laughs> as much as cameras, maybe even more. <laughs> I know a bunch of people I'd introduce you to probably have the same thing. You guys would just talk and stuff like that. Yeah. Just like you know, what's interesting. Uh, I just want to go back for a sec. Uh, I was a photo editor at a stock agency in the city uh, oh, yeah. called the Image Bank. Oh which, yeah, they yeah. were huge. They were one of the biggest. Yeah, that's it's. Uh, this is where I was like when I saw that on your on your on your um, bio line. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. interesting how you sort of branched into photography and, it, you know, through being a photo editor. At least that's what I'm, I'm guessing. That's like sort of one of the doorways for you f to, to taking pictures or, or where you're at now. Is that true? With it, yeah. Well, that was the thing? doorway to me becoming pro because it, so I left Light Sources and moved to Colorado. And a year later, uh, I had, so when I moved to Colorado, I got a job at a digital scanning is a Kodak photo CD lab that uh -huh. was owned by one of the local, by the local camera store in Fort Collins. You know, Kodak photo CD was, was kind of the big first forefront of digital photography storage. Yeah. And so, uh, I worked at this photo CD lab and after a year, my jerk boss fired me, <laughs> uh, because he Kodak, was a jerk. Uh, Kodak was full of them, excuse me. But yeah, well, he, <laughs> was, he was the son of the owner, the wow. original owner of the camera store, which was a very reputable, you know, family, small town, Main Street camera store. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so this gentleman who owned the store had his had a son who was just a loser. Oh. And God. but and so just just like to give him something to do, he, he gave him the scanning lab and he pretty much ran it into the ground and everyone like nobody in town respected this guy. Oh. As, I, as I later learned. Uh, but anyway, I, and I still keep in touch with the woman who was the vice president at the time. Oh, really? Uh, oh, that's I, great. Yeah, oh. we're still friends on Facebook. and That's nice. Uh, I Every once in a while, I see her before I go back to Fort Collins. But um, So anyway, uh, 
when I got fired, I went home and I kind of freaked out for a while. Uh, and immediately, like, my, I walked home and my my landlord was re-roofing the house where I was rent living in as a rental. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I said, hey, Tom, can I help you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and so I did that for about a week or two uh, and got some money. While I was up there, I was thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought wait a minute, I know what I'm going to do. I, I know exactly how this is supposed to work because I was had been a photo editor. I know exactly how to deal with photo clients and, and you know, how all of that process works to, to sell stock photos and, and be a pro photographer. So that experience as a photo editor, it was huge, was a huge uh, boon to me becoming a pro. It, it helped me immensely. And that's that was the biggest, the biggest, confidence booster and an experience uh, foundation that, that helped me start. I have to imagine that one of the things, at least for me as a photo editor, I mean, one of the things I did when I was there was I would learn. I also became a stock photographer at the place that I was photo editing as well, just because yeah. I'm like, I can yeah. do this too. Yeah, and so did I. And then, so that's how I started. I was like, yeah. well, I, I know how to do this. <laughs> yeah. What I learned, and it, I wonder if it's the same for you, is one of the things I learned is like what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, as a photo editor, you're saying, these pictures are not working, and so you reject them, and so you start keeping that in your mind's eye, like, uh, or your memory, like, okay, well, I know not to do that kind of thing, whatever it is, you know, yeah. you learn the, the, what not to do, but one of the pluses, I think for me, and I'm sure for you, is the uh, the influx of seeing image upon image upon image, like, you know, the only way I can compare it now is, like, you know, looking at Instagram or whatever, but even then, like working at the stock agency, you're flooded with images, and and they were being and there were slides too. So you're yeah, just thousands all day, pages, long. pages, right? Yeah, yeah. You're looping them on a light box, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you're filing and trying to figure out what file, what file to put them in. You got a picture. Well, you can only put it in one file. I know. So you can you, only put it in <laughs> one page with with something written on the side of the page. Right. With one right. label. Did, did your photographers submit like lots of similars as well? Were they like, oh, in oh one yeah, of those? yeah, and yeah. and we had a, a real variety of shooters. There were some guys who were were experts, and they would give us concise, tightly edited collections. And some guys, some guys would dump just thousands of pages yeah. of junk on us. <laughs> and and so I, I mean I I'm not going to say any names, but I right right I but I but I know I can still remember. Like if I ever had to go through so and so's box, I was like, oh god, right. <laughs> like there's just like pages of stuff, and this guy processes. He does his own E6, and so it's all uh-huh. got this weird color cast. And, oh and, shoot! And, yeah. Or this guy's work is all shot inside inner fluorescent lighting. It's like all this, just kind of like regular, everyday, real life stuff, subject matter. That's yeah. not very good. <laughs> yeah. Oh it's like, my gosh. You know, some you're... editorial guy who yeah. who probably gets in local publications, but just so yeah, just pages after pages of this stuff. It all is a green cast, or you know, right. just, just something. You're like, oh god. But then you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go through so and so's box. Oh yeah, I know how to find his stuff. Yep. 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 Oh my gosh. I, yeah, we could definitely. <laughs> we'll do another show where we just reminisce about working at a stock agent. I had that all the time. The green. I had a photographer who I won't mention. But their pictures were, were green because they were using um, they were using the non-professional Kodachrome, and the non-professional Kodachrome was always released um, into the field with a green cast to it because Kodachrome used to age from green to magenta. 
Yeah, yeah. So they used to figure out that if the the Kodachrome was sitting on a shelf someplace for you know on a on a on a pharmacy shelf for however long that it would age by the time someone bought it, right. or it would age in the camera. Well, this person would buy it because it was cheaper, right? And they would shoot it and process it immediately, and so inevitably all this great Kodachrome came back. Uh, and it was all green cast. And I was like, oh, no, I got this person's submission. And they would submit 5,000 pictures, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I say, oh. And the way it worked with my place is that we had a big backlog. Image Bank had, like, literally like half a million uh, six-month backlog at one point, which is when I was yeah. hired. I'd go in, and, you know, you get to pick uh, on the shelf a little bit, and you'd see, like, oh, it's it's this person. And you're like, well, let me just look further down the list. <laughs> Yeah. And, and see who's there. And I would inevitably find a photo. Let me ask you this. I mean, you guys, what is with all you photographers from Colorado with this with the sports images? Is there something in the water in Colorado that makes photographers there do all this great, um, uh, you know, um, outdoor lifestyle stuff? Because I knew a bunch of photographers from Colorado and you guys are you guys are crazy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let, let me ask you a question, Antonio. Yeah. What is it with all you guys in New York City shooting street stuff? Is it something <laughs> in the water? <laughs> Yes. It's just what we have out there, and that's why we live there to do. Yeah, because most no, of us wow. are active, and we love. That's what we love to do, and so that's yeah. what we love to shoot. But it's well, it's the same thing. It's like you guys have have street subjects in the city, and we have mountains, and and that just it, you know that attracts you know that the you, lifestyle. Yeah, right? it does. Yeah. It, it really yeah. is. It. So. Yeah, no, I'm just busting your chops a little bit. I knew a yeah. photographer, and I was actually. It. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of the photographers on the shelf was a guy named John Kelly, who um, was a uh, still in Colorado, I think, and yeah. he's not shooting anymore. But it, you know, and and um, I want to sort of dovetail this a little bit into one of the pod, one of the uh, videos you were talking about uh, in Fuji. But um, he was a photographer who would shoot a lot of um, uh, sports and lifestyle, mainly for catalogs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- insanely, like long lenses, uh, Nikon, like you know, six hundred millimeter stuff, f two, f four lenses. But he introduced us uh, to Fuji Velvia film. Uh, oh yeah, a- and, and actually, I was gonna say that you know when you're talking about Kodachrome. Uh, it was awesome that when we all switched to Velvia, that never became an issue anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no no problems, yeah. Yeah. He, um, he uh, you know, with the light you guys have in Colorado, um, with the, uh, you know, the golden hour and, 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 and the color palette of Velvia, at least when it first came out, it was very yellow, yellow and orange. Um, but it really enhanced those colors a lot, and... We're looking at the pictures like, what is this? What what are you shooting? And he's like, oh, sh- you know, I'm shooting Velvia. Yeah. And this is like, uh, what? When did Velvia come out? It's like 90. It was 89. 89, yeah, 89, yeah. 90. It, yeah. it started to make its way to the stock agencies a little bit later here in terms of like. Yeah. Um, but it was so like. I, I started shooting it in 93. So you were shooting, uh, you were shooting Velvia in 93. What what brought you to 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 shoot that film? So when I started shooting, uh, when I first became a photographer, I just used, you know, Kodak Gold print film, just kind of learning, uh-huh. learning, getting stuff figured out. And then, uh, you know, of course, I learned that if I want to be a pro, I need to shoot slide film. So I just started shooting Kodachrome. I started shooting regular amateur Kodachrome off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I probably bought some professional Kodachrome at some point. But uh, so I shot Kodachrome and Ektachrome and just tried a bunch of different films. And... Then in 1993, I uh, was fortunate enough to do 
a trip to Nepal with Galen Rowell as a, one of his workshop trips. Hmm. And, and so, you know, at the time he was one of my biggest influences and, you know, was big, probably the biggest influence in my whole life and career. And so when I went to Nepal with him, uh, and I think I learned even before then, he, because in all his books, he had started, you know, he would like mountain light, he was shooting Kodachrome and that's how he was describing his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the time I was met him, he had been shooting Velvia and was, you know, of course, extolling the benefits of, of Velvia. And so that, so as soon as my Nepal trip, I shot all Kodachrome. And when, as soon as I got back, I switched. Uh, Once so, you saw the results of, he, the, of, the, of the Velvia? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I knew that I had seen his results and I had started to learn more about this film. Uh, and so my Nepal trip, which was April of 93, was the last time I shot Kodachrome. And so when I got back, probably May of 93, I bought my first roll of Elvia, and that was it. And Are you so, shooting Kodachrome 64 or 25? I uh, both. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I carry both with me. Yeah. And I, loved, the, I loved Kodachrome 25. I mean, they were, both, they were both great, but 25 was just... 25 was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing film. Unbelievable film, yeah. Yeah. It, and the Velvia came out as 50-speed initially. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, that Velvia wow. 50 was magic. And, and I mean, the way I see it is... You know, I was still learning a lot uh, when I went to Nepal, and I f- and after that trip, I f- I feel like I had grown in a huge way with my skill and mm-hmm. the type of subjects I was more comfortable with, and my eye and everything, and having learned from Galen and some of the other guys in the trip. And so, from that point on, I started shooting Velvia, and you know, continued to improve. And so, from that standpoint, I consider Velvia. And those Fuji color palettes to be a, a vital, integral part of my development as a creative photographer. And so those colors have been wrapped up. They've been intertwined with my shooting style for now half of my life as a, as a person on this planet. You know, I've been shooting Velvia for over 25 years now. And so it's really cool to think about that I get to use those colors again. That's obviously one of the huge reasons I love the Fuji systems. I'm back to using those colors, which were so integral to my development. And that's, that's, that, those color palettes, I, I learned to see through uh-huh. those color palettes. That, that's, that's how my vision was sort of calibrated, you know, after a while. But, so, of course, that's what drew you to Fuji. There must have been some gap we're talking about now because Velvia, unless you were shooting Velvia up until the point you bought a Fuji camera that had a Velvia in it. I mean, you were no, probably shooting digital no, before you're, that, you're right? right. Yeah. And so right. Uh, I, I went digital in uh, 2003, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe, yeah, it was a little, I guess it was, yeah, around 2003. And the only reason I did, I mean, I saw it coming. I saw the writing on the wall, but I was a long time holdout. Until my lab, my, my dear friend of mine owned the photo lab that I used. He had a, a mm-hmm. great, great pro lab. And when he closed, that was it. He called me one oh, day. He really? goes, well, Dan, I'm closing the lab. I said, okay, I guess I'm switching. So I immediately. That would be a sad day, too. Yeah, right? yeah. It, it was. Uh, and I knew it was coming, and he did, too. But that was it. And so that day, I called B&H and ordered a whole bunch of gear, a whole bunch of Nikon <laughs> gear. And oh, you were so, shooting Nikon before? Yeah, so yeah. I had been a Nikon shooter for years. And and interestingly enough, uh, when I was a Nikon shooter early on from the get go, and 
two weeks before my Nepal trip, my house was broken into and all my gear was stolen. Oof. Oh. And yeah. so the first thing I did was call Galen's office and, and just to let him know. And then I called Nikon uh, just to let them know and, and like beg and plead, well, can you guys loan me any gear? I mean, is there anything mm-hmm. you can do? I'm doing this trip with Galen. Well, they actually talked with him. And so he vouched for me and used his professional account, his NP- or, yeah, NPS service account, uh, to get gear loaned and shipped to me for the trip. Wow. Yeah, wow. So, so that was a big deal. And, and that, must so, have made, what, that must have made you feel really good. Yeah. And, and the guy wow. at Nikon was Richard Lopinto, who was, he was one of their marketing heads for years. And he was mm-hmm. you know, one of these revered guys at Nikon for a long time. And so he was the one who facilitated that. And I'm, you know, eternally thankful uh, to him and to Nikon and Galen for doing that. Yeah. And, and I've always had a soft spot in, for Nikon gear. I mean, that's, that's what, that was my foundation. So I, so I went Nikon with the D200 uh, or digital with D200 mm-hmm. and then the D300 and the 700. Uh, but by the 700... And so, yeah, there was that gap. There was about a five, five or actually a little bit more year gap. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess it was closer to, well, I was still scanning my Velvia slides. Uh, <laughs> they scan well. They, they did. They scanned really well. Yeah, Kodachrome, they still do, yeah. Kodachrome, not so good because no, the Nikon CoolScan cal- software was not calibrated for Kodachrome at all. That's because the Kodachrome is a black and white film base. Yeah, it was a really and, complicated. And it can't it can't do the uh, infrared dust uh, thing. It was just it's dreadful. But uh, sorry, yeah. that's me geeking out. <laughs> oh no, no, that's that's totally true. And I I managed to find some kind of color profile that would allow it to work or something because I, yeah, I did yeah. manage to get some of my Kodachrome scanned. But I remember the first time I threw, or maybe the LS four thousand was able to scan Kodachrome better. By then they had improved it. But my first scanner was an LS2000, and I remember uh-huh. putting Kodachrome slide in there and getting junk out. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, yeah, oh, yeah. God. Yeah. And so uh, so a few years, probably, I can't remember how many years shooting Nikon, maybe eight, eight years shooting digital. And then I was at PhotoPlus in 2011, uh, and the X100 had just been announced or had been out for a few months, and that was the, this big deal. And, uh-huh. and I was in... I had heard about it because at the time uh, I had been writing for a photography blog called the Photo Letariat, which was actually based in New York City. And oh. so that was, I had my own blog for a few years, but it did, was, didn't really do much. But it was enough to get, my writing skills were enough to get me this this job uh, being the senior contributor to the Photo Letariat. And so I wrote daily articles for them. Yeah. And it was cool because I could write about you know, she trusted me to write about whatever I wanted. Like, write, That's cool. write yeah. whatever. Uh, she didn't even really edit anything. She just said, you know, write it, put it in the queue in our WordPress account, in our WordPress, and I'll just publish these whenever, you know, at our own schedule. So she would, I would upload them, and she'd publish a piece every day and pay me for it. So, you know, it started well, yeah. It started at $15 a post and ended at 50 a couple of years no, later. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. And so... Good, yeah. So that prompted me to go to Photo Plus that first time in 2011. And I remember, same thing, just like I met you, was on my way out the door, like walking mm-hmm. towards the en- exit, when I passed the Fuji booth and I saw this darling little camera. It was the X10. Mm-hmm. And, oh, the X10. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
And, uh, but and the, the gateway drug. <laughs> it, that was the gateway drug. And so I picked this little thing up and I was like, what is this? This is cute. Mm-hmm. And the first thing the guy showed me was Brandon Remler. And he was the, he's the, the rep from that area. The first thing he showed me was the, uh, well, after he showed me how to turn it on, when you turn the, the lens barrel at. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, the first thing he showed me was the film sims. And I was like, oh my God, this camera has <laughs> Provia and Velvia and Astia built right in. Oh my God. And I was mm-hmm. sold. So I yeah. got home and I called B&H and I said, can I borrow one for a month and, and review it? And they said, sure. And then after the month, I called back and I said, I ain't sending it back. Here's my credit card. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. That was the gateway yeah. drug. And Wow. My gateway was, was the X20. Hooked. With the X20. Yeah. So, yeah, next generation. Yeah. Well, yeah. But then that's it. Once you're, once you're in. I was in. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I, I, my, I echo some of the same things. It's really interesting you're saying this. I echo, I'm a Nikon. I've always been a Nikon guy. I was Nikon in, in, in college, uh, as first camera. Uh, I, I still have my first camera, my first Nikon. Actually, I have my second Nikon still. My ex-wife has my first Nikon. <laughs> um, and I love Nikon. And I had a similar experience with getting one of my first high-end uh, digitals um, going from a, to get the D2X. I won't go through the story, but... Someone at Nikon helped me uh, finagle and get the D2X, and that was set me off on the professional, what I consider like professional quality digital camera. And I was still doing stock by then, so you know, 12 megapixels was sort of the minimum. But and I've I still have all these cameras. I, I, I D300, D7000, D2X. I don't know if the batteries work. <laughs> but I still have all my lenses too. I mean, the, the Nikon glasses to me like still almost second to none. Um, but the X20 being, you know, at a point, like I'm not shooting stock anymore and I'm trying to express myself with cameras and the, and I want something I can pocket. And I always kind of like that retro style, you know, cause there's part of me that always wanted like an old Minolta or an old Leica or something like that. And the little X20, X10, you know, they, they began to have that little style, right? Right, right away. Yeah. yeah. The, oh yeah. The totally. retro style. Yeah. Um, it didn't quite grab me. The, the the film stocks didn't quite grab me yet. It was more like the the size of the camera and, and the the width of the lens. And because I was starting to do street photography, that really worked. But as I started getting into it and start realizing, oh my gosh, they're doing such a good job with color science and bringing back bringing back the things about film that I liked. There's so much stuff about film I didn't like, like processing and scratches and pinholes. You know the stuff I'm talking about, right? oh, yeah, the stuff yeah. that could the ruin a shot. But the the color, the eventually the sharpness, you know, in the different cameras and the different lenses, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm 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 falling in love with this system because of what you were saying before of like what it's doing to uh, sort of enhance or work with your creativity. You know, like that you're you're working hand in hand with this stuff, and that. I found like what you were talking about throughout all your videos. I get that sense that there's some symbiotic relationship between you and your camera or you and Fuji or you and the technology behind it or the, the science behind it. That's that works with your, with your creativity. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think the number, well, I think the two things that, that I'm most intrigued by and I think they have the biggest influence on my creativity these days uh, are the colors 
mm-hmm. uh, and the concept of abbreviation. And so with the colors, that's where the Fuji comes in because they are masters of color. They, they are masters of color science, and they've been doing this for 85 years or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and their film simulations uh, and their film profiles, their actual film color profiles, have been so carefully developed over the years by scientists and creative engineers who, who take great pains towards crafting these these profiles that that are able to communicate different moods mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's resonated more strongly with me uh, in the past few years and probably anything else uh, of course the Velvia was I mean it was perfect uh, when I first started shooting it because I was shooting action sports in Colorado right. during sunset right. hours right. Just right. like you were talking about, yeah, and it was magic. It was the most magical look you could you could think about, and it was it was that it was magic, and it was bold and beautiful, and it had this this impact like no other. How does how did it how did you feel when you like made that realization that you're looking at something that is digital, but it's now r- reminding you of the, of what you fell in love with and part of, uh, you know, the photography or film, this film in the beginning with like how you're looking at the back of the thing. You're like, I've got this thing now in my hand. How, how did, th- do you remember how you felt? Yeah. I mean, I was immediately struck because yeah. not only is it there, they have the same font and the same logo for right. these films. In there. <laughs> you know, you, I'm, I'm choosing the same, it's the same Velvia with, with uh, the same logo and font that was on the film boxes. And the really funny thing is, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to play with the X-Pro3 yet. Not yet. <laughs> so the X-Pro3 has this little innovative design, which I think is, is brilliant. It, it, it's funny because it got so much criticism from you know, a handful of people who are, you know, will criticize anything. Right. Uh, but so what they did with the X-Pro3 is they have this little, you don't have... You don't have the main screen on the back right. like you have okay. all the other cameras. Uh, instead, if you want to access the main screen, you have to flip it open. You have to flip it up so you can see it. Mm-hmm. Instead of the main screen, they have this little tiny window that's the same size as as that little square slot where you put the film box tab in. Oh, right, when you used to rip it off the film box so you knew what film you had in your camera. Exactly, cause yeah. that, and that was how you knew because you didn't know. That was the only way you knew is, is you, uh, you, or if you didn't remember so yeah, you'd tear the film, the, the little square side of the film box off and slip it in the slot. And so this little window, you can have a couple different options for what to show on the X-Pro3's little, X, little auxiliary window back there. You uh-huh. can show basic shooting data, or you can have it show you an icon, a digitally rendered icon of the film tab. Oh, really? <laughs> and so, so, oh, you wow. can, so you can show the replica of that little box of Velvia, that little tab, or Provia, or any of those. And the funny thing is, is when we've all been joking for years, we've all been saying for years about how classic Chrome is supposed to be a model like Kodachrome, and Fuji's mm-hmm. been saying oh, all along, well, it's not really, you know, because they can't, they can't right, say Right, right, obviously, yeah. And they're yeah. like, well, it's just a model after a generic film. But the funny thing was, when the X-Pro3 came out, they had to come up with a visual icon for classic Chrome. And uh-huh. guess what oh. it looks a lot like. <laughs> really? Yeah. It, they're not in trouble? 
<laughs> no, I actually have a picture of it. Let me find it right here. Um, it's, uh, let's see. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's October. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when I... Oh, let's see here. Is it? Oh, it's probably on my phone. Oh, yeah, it would be on my phone. Um, you, you have this camera? Yeah, uh, I don't have the X-Pro3. I got to try it in New York last fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was kind of hanging around the Fuji booth, and one of my friends, uh, who's one of the reps, was about to go on a photo walk. She said, Dan, come on and walk with us. Here, grab the X-Pro3 and come on and walk with us. I'm so, afraid if I held it, I would have to buy it. So. Yeah, well, That's, I, 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 was, I was blown away by it. I thought it was a beautiful camera. Uh, yeah. And I, I applauded Fuji for having having the just the the creative idea to come up with this this little well this different design instead of just having the same thing where you have the big screen on the back and you just mm-hmm. look at every picture you know they're trying to foster a traditional mentality and the, and the X Pro 3 they really do kind of push it that way where the X Pro 3 is like the the traditionalist camera right and I, I have to give them credit for that. I mean, in terms of like the innovation, the real listening to photographers, the really touching back to the old days a little bit, but modernizing it. And, you know, my you know disappointment in the sense that the camera brand that I stick with, like Nikon, which I love and I, I will always love them, never thought of doing something like that, like the... The um, I mean their equipment is great and their lenses are great and everything like that, but their the um, the the lack of and this is for a lot of other camera brands too the lack of of trying to do something new and interesting and you know for those of us who like you and me who overlap in times of film and retro the quote unquote retro style cameras to to touch back into that to to help make photography fun again rather than it just being this. Uh, like a small iteration. Oh well, we got more megapixels, or we have more dynamic range, or you know, nothing, nothing fun about that. And yeah. that was what really, you know, to go into the emotional part of the Fuji system is that, you know, I wasn't, I don't know, I'm not like I, I want to go back in the past and shoot film again because, like I said, I couldn't when I was shooting film, I actually couldn't wait to move to digital because film was causing me, I, I, I had more headaches with film. I love I loved it, and I didn't know what I was going to miss when it was gone. But you know, Fuji uh, or a company like Fuji is capturing some of the things that I do miss. Like you, like we're talking about the colors, like the the classic Chrome. I love Kodachrome, um, and to have access to that when I want by just flipping a switch uh, or tweaking it the way I want is is you know I have, I have to thank them for that. It it really harkens back to that. It doesn't give me the pinholes, doesn't give me the nonsense with film. It gives me the thing yeah. that I really liked about it. But the emotional grab to that was like let's do something fun with photography. Let's have let's have fun. And you you sort of talk about the stuff I think across your videos I always get that sense about the fun part. Right. Rather oh yeah. Than I like, mean, that's got to be. That's in my mind. That's the most important thing of all. Right. Because otherwise, it's like files. Like we're dealing with files. We're dealing with captures, and there's something really removed by it. And let's let's go back to having some like some fun. Hey, 
And um, what what drew me to wanting to talk to you was I want to get right into this because the video that you talked about what is it? Ah, uh, shoot, <laughs> it was one that you did recently. It was the, um, cre- the creativity in the JPEG. It was shooting the JPEG, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was why. Oh, the mo- shooting for the moment. Yeah, Shooting why, for the why, moment, you, should, why right. you should embrace the Fuji JPEGs. Right. So my quick story, sorry to talk about this again, but so you, we haven't met, so I, you get to hear a little bit about me. Um, yeah, totally. Um, uh, I, I've, been, I, I've been working on Photoshop since version 2.5. I teach it to a lot of people. I use, I, people friends of mine who are now really professional photographers and who, who teach Photoshop themselves, they're teaching Photoshop because of the stuff I've, uh, you know, I've always been a geek as far as, you know, digital imagery has gone. I had an Amiga computer way back when doing stuff, even my VIC-20. Anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. So I've been processing pictures on a computer for a very, very long time. And at a certain point, I just get tired of it. And once the phones and, and iPads start getting better quality screens and became you know, like being able to um, process mobily, you know, made me it was a lot more fun. All of a sudden I was having fun again. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Fuji comes along, you know, uh, uh, I can process my JPEGs um, on my uh, from my Fuji onto my iPad or iPhone. And suddenly I'm getting what I want. And suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm removed from this idea that I have to process my pictures later. When you were talking about, you know, you go on a trip and you shoot, you know, a thousand pictures and you come back and it's like, what is on your mind two months after you've been on that trip you know can you can you duplicate that sitting on your computer some people may be able to i know i can't yeah right and i've had similar experiences a lot of times when i used to travel uh before phones and stuff i would always have a little journal with me and i certain during during some of my earlier trips like the nepal trip and stuff i would write furiously in my journal every day pages and pages so by the end of the trip the whole journal is filled up with writing and it really still have all these journals and uh i've fallen off that over the years mm-hmm. um but in, in invariably i would often finish a trip not quite caught up because sometimes i would be writing about the day before right because i right. would never because oh, okay. i'm writing yeah. so much that i would never like it some sometimes i would relish a rest day on my trip so i could catch up on my journal writing from the day and two <laughs> days before. backlog yeah yeah, and so invariably I would find myself at home with a couple of days left in my journal that I still hadn't written about, and I would try to write them, and I would do it, but there I am, far removed from everything I experienced when those yeah, things happen, yeah, and I'm trying yeah. to write about them. Yeah. And and so the notion of being far removed from those moments that inspired your creativity in the first place has really started to resonate with me in the past few yeah. years. And mm-hmm. so I would... So in just most of these videos that I've been doing are extensions of uh, the talks and the workshops that I've been doing around the country in the past few years. And so I would say things like that, you know, oh, okay, take a trip and you come home and you have a thousand raw images and you don't process them all and then you go on a trip and then you come back with another thousand raw images and now how many trips are you behind? And and people, I just watch people's eyes glaze and they're nodding right. like, oh my God, you're speaking to me and me and yeah. me and me and me. Yeah. And yeah. and I know this stuff because I've been there and 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 that's, it's, I, I use this, I came up with this term, we've all been Kelbyized, which is, is no disrespect wow. to Scott Kelby because he's a great photographer, he's a, he's a good dude, he has helped millions of people become better, more confident uh, shooters and, and processors and and photo managers, but 
what works for these real high-end pros who are doing professional work for big reproduction and, and for very, uh, very defined reproductions or mm-hmm. prints doesn't necessarily reflect the rest of us or, or a lot of the rest of us. Right, right. And so someone going on vacation with their Fuji uh, and just trying to capture, be creative in the moment is shooting in a different mindset than maybe what, what Scott Kelby or any other big name pro that we all follow who have all taught us that we always have to shoot raw all the time and do all of these very calculated processing techniques and slide the sliders this much and you don't want to use this too much clarity and you want to use this and only this much sharpening because this and and it's all just like this this it becomes a blur in your mind you just you become glazed over you're like um wait how do i remember all this stuff right you're like a deer in headlights kind of thing yeah yeah. and then you sit down and process and you're like oh wait what did scott kelby say oh wait what did rc say i have to oh okay i shouldn't use too much sharpness wait what was the number he said that's not creative art that's not that's not embracing the mood of the excitement and fun that you experienced on the spot and so that's the message i'm trying to perpetuate to people everywhere, especially Fuji users, Fuji users, because we have these colors, we have these creative tools right in our cameras that allow us to get great looking photos right in the camera. Yeah. And, yeah. and we and don't have to shoot raw anymore. And that's not to right. say you don't ever need to shoot raw, but I, I, it's just... It, well, you, you got me thinking <laughs> about that. I, I, I always shoot JPEG and raw just because... Yeah. I, I'm just, it's like... I, I, just I don't even case. know why. Well, it's a just in case, but like yeah. I, you know, you, if you saw my, my photography, my street photography, I don't even know why I shoot raw for street photography because, you know, the immediacy of street photography is I shoot, I process it, I put it up someplace, yeah. you know, it makes a statement and I'm done. I'm like, well, what am I going to do with a raw file other than store it? So, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think about that a little bit more just as yeah. as I've been watching you. I was like, you know what? I got to think about it. It would be a hard thing for me to turn off because I've been doing it for years. <laughs> well, and it is a hard thing to turn off, and, and there are a lot of people who have been doing it for years, and so I know that that's a tough topic for people to hear. And I, and I get all kinds of comments uh, in, from that vein, and, as, and some people are a little more forceful about the whole topic uh, to the point where you know, uh, uh, someone might be afraid to post a picture on a forum and say it was shot in JPEG because they might get laughed at by this guy in the forum who's, who's yeah. so, who, this experienced male photographer who's, I mean, it's just, and, and so, so I actually did, uh, I, I've got a, a photography series, uh, a video lesson series called Photography on the Brain that I do now. I've been doing it for just over a year. And it's, it, it's kind of like, it's the same format as the YouTube videos, but instead of being more tip based and you know the YouTube videos are kind of a very defined concepts and techniques uh-huh. my my brain videos are much more cerebral and introspective and so in one of them in, in one of the most recent ones i I talked about this topic of uh, shooting jpeg and it wasn't really about shooting raw plus jpeg but I used that as an example uh-huh. and the message behind it was what are you afraid of what are you afraid that you're going to miss Especially mm. with mirrorless cameras, we can see it right there in the viewfinder. You can right. see exactly what the picture's gonna look like before you take it. So, what are you afraid you're gonna miss? You know, you know what it's like. I wonder if it's uh, you know for me like a, a digital hoarding. Like I'm hoarding oh, yeah. pixels. I'm hoarding the pixels because of what you're saying. Like I might miss something. I might have like you know 
I might have to someday in the future <laughs> X, Y, and Z, and yeah. and do I inevitably do that? Well, yeah. you know, maybe I do sometimes, maybe I don't sometimes, but most likely I, I, I don't. And I never had, when you're shooting film, we never had the, you know, you never really had the raw backup on that. You had exactly. a slide, and that was it, you know? That um, was it. That, you were done. And what was nice yeah. about that is that you would shoot on a trip, You'd send all your stuff out to Kodak or whoever was processing your film, and you'd wait a week. And when you got that FedEx back, the FedEx box back, you might have already been shooting more stuff. But you know, for a couple of weeks, you were waiting for your slides to come back. And and when you look through them, the you know, sitting at the light box, seeing what you had, and you were done, for the most part. And you would reject some that were not exposed right. And you say, all right, well, next time I'll do this. But you got these that are like, wow, these are great, you yeah. know. Um, and there was no hoarding in that sense. And so, yeah, I don't know where this came from, like how this evolved that we need to hoard pixels. That's a kind well, of an interesting phrase, you know. But uh, And, and that's, that's the method I use. I, I treat my photos like film again. I treat my, my – I, I see my shooting process as, as being a film-like approach where I embrace the challenge of nailing it in the moment because I have the skills to do that. And even – but that doesn't always mean I'm going to nail it. It means right. that I'm I strive for the challenge of nailing it, which which everyone has that same thing in front of them. Um, but but I know how we got there. It's because uh, back in the day when raw when digital cameras first started, there weren't as many pixels. There weren't the processors weren't as capable, right. and the, right. and yeah. there weren't the sensors were not as sensitive to light, and so especially low light. And so you needed to shoot raw in order to process, uh, especially if you need to rescue any kind of shadow detail and darker tones. And, and that, be, that kind of pervade into the message of, well, if you're a serious photographer, you should always shoot raw. And I mean, I'm one of the guys who said that too. I've, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I can yeah. look back at my blog post that's titled, Why You Should Always Shoot Raw. <laughs> and, and I wrote it about you know, probably 12 years ago or something. But that, that message was pervaded by the pros uh, by including me, but life changes and everything changes. And, and just because we used to do it that way, isn't a good enough excuse to keep doing stuff, uh, no matter what it is you're doing. So let me ask your opinion about something. How about, uh, I, I teach a, I teach a online, uh, intro digital photography class and one of the things I say, which, you know, is sort of like do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. But um, I tell students, like, you might want to think about shooting JPEG and RAW now while you're learning. And the reason is, is that your future self might appreciate that. And, and my, my story for me is like when I got my first Nikon D100, which I thought was just I was so happy about that. I went out to the Pacific Northwest and, and and I didn't know how to set the camera on JPEG and RAW, which you could do that. You could shoot JPEG and RAW. But the RAW files on that camera, if you set it the wrong way, they would take forever to write onto the card. So I never oh, turned yeah, them on. Yeah, the processors weren't very Yeah, and back why then. I, what I realized that there was a there might have been a compressed RAW. I, I can't remember. There was some there was two settings for RAW. And the one that I was setting on, it took forever to write. I'm like, I'm never going to use this, right? So I just shot JPEG. And there were six megapixel JPEGs, and I, 
and a lot of great stuff, the Cascade Mountains and just, you know, the whole rainforest and stuff like that. And I'm looking at those JPEGs now and like, geez, I really wish I had the raw files from then to process yeah. now with the knowledge that I've got now. Right. Because I, I was sort of a beginning, you know, digital photographer. Then I wasn't a beginning photographer, but did beginning digital photographer then. And now I wish I had those. Would, would you think that kind of makes any sense for a beginner? I mean, we're, you and me, we're like we're old hats at this. So we're good at we're confident that the JPEG is going to capture. But would I be like, is that too crazy to say to someone who's starting new or is that OK? I don't know. What do you think? I think there are two ways of looking at it. I, I think it's not. A disservice to say that uh, because there is validity to the notion of processing, which has always been an important part of photography. Yeah, I mean yeah. that guy Ansel, he that guy Ansel Adams, his pictures were okay, right? And he did some processing. <laughs> yeah, it's just like yeah, I think so. Yeah, and so the notion <laughs> of processing has always been a viable creative aspect of of this craft, and and so I don't want to tell people that they should never process or that yeah, if yeah. you. My point is that don't feel that you have to, because if you don't want to, then you shouldn't force yourself to do it. Yeah, yeah. And and there and some people really enjoy it, and and I've come to enjoy it on very small amounts, which is why I love programs like Luminar. Mm-hmm. I used to be a guy who wasn't. I didn't have any interest in using, using presets. I want right. to have full control, but now I, I like, the instant creative gratification or else and i don't like to put it that way because that makes me sound really shallow uh, <laughs> you're far which, from that which I maybe i am but, but i mean well, i'm a dude so you know uh but um well. but i like i with my photography and my with a lot of my creativity and 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 this is just a personality thing i don't agonize i don't tend to agonize over my choices uh, mm-hmm. I tend to pick something and run with it and mm-hmm. do it with confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm shopping for something on Amazon, I'll agonize for days. Right. Uh, which right. microphone am I going to buy? Oh, which am I going to buy this? Which cable am I going to buy? Which of that, you know, well, I better read all the reviews and see what everybody else said about this one $10 cable. <laughs> Is this the right $10 cable for me? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but when it comes to creativity, I like to look at something and go, uh, yeah, I like that look or no, that's not quite what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. And just oh, that's it. Grab that's it, and move it, yeah. on. Yeah. And so whether yeah. it's the film simulations or whether it's the way I expose a picture in the camera or whether it's a processing technique, uh, I tend to operate quickly uh, because I know what I like. Yeah. And and sometimes it, I won't know what I like until I see it, mm-hmm. and then it jumps out at me and goes, oh, that. Yeah. And that's why, like the film simulations, I might not have the initial idea to shoot this the scene in classic chrome but maybe if i switch to that i'll go oh i love how that looks yeah i'm choosing that one it it's it's giving you or giving us a, a, a creative freedom or a freedom yeah like a, a weight is sort of taken off of our shoulders a little bit and that's how i like to put it yeah yeah and, and there's it, one other aspect to what you were saying uh i had somebody last year at photo plus ask me about that very topic you know do you reprocess your old raw files and i say rarely uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for the reason that like when van halen recorded or led zeppelin recorded their first album it was raw when any band records their first album it's raw and it's Mm -hmm. rough and it's it's full of excitement and passion and it may Mm -hmm. not be technically perfect uh 
but that's who you were then, and that's that was the energy you put across. Oh, it's interesting. And, yeah, and yeah, and ten five ten albums later, your your songwriting technique has improved. Your production techniques have improved. The studio techniques have improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, you've got more money to hire a better producer who can you know impart a really characteristic sound to your music. But that doesn't mean, and, and so you don't really get anything by going back and remixing your whole album and and so that that was my analogy and then and then i come home and like a week later i read this article that oh and so and so band it might have been nirvana so and so is totally remixing their first album it's like oh no (laughs) no. as you're saying that the first thing that's popping my mind is is uh not mad max but road warrior and and when road warrior came out it was dirty it was rough it was like what is this and then all of a sudden, George Miller got a lot of money and then produced uh, Thunderdome, which I thought was a disaster. Oh, I was yeah. like, can you just stick with the original, like, dirty, grimy thing? You make a really interesting point, and I'm going to think about that. Um, Movies are with... a great... I mean, think how raw ter- the first Terminator movie was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes, yeah. And they made it on a shoestring budget, I think, too. <laughs> yeah, or, or the first Halloween movie that John Carpenter yeah. did, you know? yeah. Yeah, no, throwing money at it or like going back and revisiting and, and revamping, there's, you know, I actually don't go back, you know, I'm realizing this, I don't go back and revamp my pictures that much. And, you know, I, yeah. I, it's shoot and and look at and, and pull the stuff I want and, and, and I'm kind of just storing the rest of the stuff, you know, with 8,000 hard drives I've got. So. Yeah, and, and those pictures, the way your picture looks, your old pictures look, reflect who you were then. Then, yeah. And every yeah. aspect of who you were then as a photographer. Yeah. All right, interesting point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna think about revising the thought process by this. But uh, yeah, and, but and that's I, not to say like there, there are obviously times where all of this, you know, there's always exceptions. What if a client comes to you and says, "Oh my God, we saw oh, yeah, this what picture yeah. you took, and we want to use this for our for a yeah. you know, million dollar ad campaign," and you're like, "God, I shot this ten years ago. I better, re- right. I better, you know, try to give right. them the best quality picture I can." Or shoot, you know, I shot it in black and white JPEG, and you know, I, I can't, I can't change that to a color shot, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there are parts of it, but I think I'm, I'm revising my mindset in terms of what, what to talk about. But yeah. I appreciate that. That's kind of good advice. But the, uh, bottom, but the bottom line of my message, I think, especially right now, when we're all freaked out at, at the modern yeah. and what the hell's going on, which yeah. came on us so quickly, our lives have changed dramatically and and just immediately. And we have enough to agonize over. We shouldn't agonize o- over our creativity. We yeah. should our creativity and our photography should be fun. It should be satisfying and fun and fulfilling in the moment. And and help to I mean not pull us out of the reality a little bit, but but give us a respite in such a way yeah. that uh, our our minds because when we do that, our minds are then sharpened up to deal with reality. You know, we 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 have this. <sighs> Yeah. Create, we need this creative outlet or whatever we're going to do. And then because we have to come back and, and force ourselves to think about what's going on in the real world and deal with it in, in, a, in a way that uh, we're not clouded or, or iffy about. So, And that's, that's the message that I put across in uh, the video I did uh, about a month ago called How Creativity Can Save Us. Mm-hmm. And it explores exactly those topics. When you go out and 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 be creative on a regular basis you gain an, a certain level of confidence that allows you to better deal with uh with other logic based problems and situation based problems in your life it it allows you to better navigate challenging situations because you have yeah. the confidence with your creativity and creativity is what allows us 
to get through anything because the world is a very complicated place and there's no one way right switch on and off answer for, for almost anything. Everything that we do requires some kind of creative analysis and a careful analysis and creative solutions. And so if you are, if you practice your creativity on a daily or on a regular basis, you'll gain those skills that'll better allow you to navigate the rest of life. And at the same time, when you're spending time being creative, you're immersed in the joy of that and you're mm-hmm. not thinking about how pissed off you are at everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and yeah. I, it's a message that I wish that I think needs to be universal is we all need to spend more time being creative because we are all pissed off and some people more than others. And the unfortunate thing is, is the anger that some people possess has, has really screwed things up for, on a massive level for us. And, and I think that if more people practice more creativity, that we would all contribute uh, and do our part toward making a better world for everybody. Yeah. The creativity part is also bringing you in the present. I mean, you know yeah. that I, I can just tell from the photographs that you're making, uh, you know, and by the way, I really like your work. I mean, it Thank really you. it's the kind of stuff I would love to do. I'd be too scared to do some of the stuff that you're shooting. Um, but. I think the kind of work, especially the kind of work you're doing, there is a lot of you have to be in the moment to create the kind of stuff you're doing. And being in the moment is very useful for for what you're talking about, for uh, moving us out of this mindset of anger and, and yeah. uh, destruction and and sort of being one with ourselves, too, because we have to. We have to we have to take care of ourselves, too. So um, uh, and that's a good yeah. a good notion of being in the moment. A lot of the anger that people have is always based on something that already happened. Right. Right. And okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And that's really what any therapist would say is, okay, well, what are you going to do about it now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And instead of being destructive, uh, are there positive things that you can do for yourself or for other people? Uh, And that, then that's a universal thing. I've found that, uh, I mean, you're, you're married, right? Yeah. You said that you're married. Like I, I found that when, when, when my wife and I have, for lack of a better word, challenging situations, mm-hmm. uh, which sometimes you have when you're married, right? I'm not the yeah. only guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah, I, what what we've kind of discovered is is when we have challenging situations, the the easiest way to break out of that is to do something nice for somebody else as together, like for mm-hmm. us to go do something mm-hmm. nice for somebody else. Mm. And, and there was a situation where we were, ha- illustrate that, we were having a challenging morning one time a couple of years ago, you know, and, and sometimes when you're stuck in it, when you're stuck in your anger and you're stuck in, in your frustration, you, it's hard to break out of that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can I chase it on the podcast? That's fine. <laughs> it, it's hard to break <laughs> out of that. And so, uh, and, and whether it's serendipitous or whatever, you know, our friend called us or texted us and said, hey, we have to go put our dog down. He's he's Ooh. sick and, and we have to go to the vet, but our kids are being a pain in the ass. Can you come watch our kids for a couple hours mm. while we take our dog for a walk, his last walk, and then, you know, so mm. before we go to the vet? Wow. And we're like, yep, we'll be there. And so she went up and baked, we both went up and she occupied the kids and baked cookies with them. And I took my camera out and took pictures of my friends with their dog on their last walk together. Ooh. wow. Oh, did you share those pictures with them? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. How did yeah. how 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 did they react? If I oh, asked? they loved it. I mean, they're such yeah. dear friends of mine. They you know yeah. they were so thankful. 
Mm. So, oh, what a but, privileged moment to be with them on that. On, yeah, on something like and, that. yeah, and so that's the kind of thing that that I mean, I I made a difference. My my creativity made a difference in someone's life, and mm-hmm. and that's as another aspect of that video was that I talked about was was use your photography powers for good. You know, there's some times where where the smallest thing. I'm just taking a picture of these people and their dog, which is just you know some action photo that I'm shooting. You know, yeah. just practicing those tr- tried and true act- action photo techniques for shooting moving subjects. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah. But in this situation, I made pictures that were really meaningful to those people who yeah. were my friends. Yeah. And and wow. so combining that with with the confidence that you gain from your creativity, I just think that the more we all practice our creativity, the more we're going to work to help make the world a better place and be better citizens of the planet. Yeah, I'm all for that. And, uh, you know, I'm working on it, too. I'm passing it along to other people, and so are you. I really, again, I'm really digging your... Uh, um, I'm so glad that you're doing those videos, you know. And I've been, I've started my videos. I got stopped for a little while. Again, circumstances Yeah. Uh, I won't get into here, but... Um, you know, I'm watching your stuff and and thinking, you know, and I, I what I like about your work, your video work is you. It's very simple. You're just you talking, and describing and showing pictures, and and that's kind of uh, the, the kind of thing that uh, that drew me to you. Is there's no pretense. It's just, you know, and, you and that's that's been and, the approach the I've taken yeah. for years with my blog. Is 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 I'll say all this stuff. Uh, like whether I'm doing a camera review or talking about a specific technique, is uh, is I'll say stuff, but in the end, I have the pictures to back it up, for lack of a better word. Th- yeah. This is what, or even yeah. like the Fuji book, is these are the tools, but here are the pictures that show you exactly what you can do with them, with those yeah. tools and the cameras yeah. and these colors. And so I, I, that's my goal is to inspire people, uh, you know, just tell them what they what I think they need to hear or tell them, tell them my, give them my insight, but then show mm-hmm. them pictures that, that can inspire them to think, Oh, I, I can do something like that. Cause yeah. really, who am I? I'm just a guy. And there's, I'm, I'm just one guy. I'm not anything special. I have certain creative talents, but I struggle in other areas. Like ev- everything, ironically, everything that I'm really good about photography, like all of the creative blocks that most people have mm-hmm. with photography, I'm immune to for some reason, but I have them all with music and guitar and songwriting. <laughs> and, and so when I wrote my Dr. Fauci Say music song, my song, and I made that music video, which was my first music video ever, a kid who grew up on MTV, <laughs> I finally made a music video. Um, and I also, that was a way for me to deal with my anger by being creative, yeah. my anger yeah. and my frustration, because it was right at the height of the pandemic when we started, we're exploding and we had just come back from a trip and we're all freaking out and I spent the next few weeks like not even taking pictures but just taking like two and three hour walks every day in the woods that were still you know trails yeah. were all still covered in snow and I would go out and during the walk I wrote this song and I and, you know I th- wrote this song in my mind and and then used my own creative and technical skills to record it and then make a music video with my Fuji and then mix it in Final Cut Pro and Logic that's cool and, I haven't watched that one yet. It's on my. On oh my yeah, TV it's list. so yeah. good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but the, and but that to me was like, oh my god, I I broke through all of those confidence barriers that I have with music. Mm-hmm. I, I broke through it, and for some reason, this just came right out. 
and and I had the confidence. I was like, wow, I'm going to start doing more. And then I haven't because I've just been busy with everything else. So, so, I, <laughs> so take that mindset for a second. Uh, I want to wrap up soon, but like take that mindset a second. How would you project that or for someone who's in the same kind of place with photography? Like what would you say to them uh, in that respect as to what you did with your video? Well, that's the exactly since since I know since I recognize all the creative blocks I have in music, almost everything I write about in photography translates directly from mm-hmm. the the blocks that I know that I have, and that I'm aware other people have, and I'm able to write and talk about them in a way that are relatable because I have them with with our other areas. As I'll I'll agonize over guitar solos or or how should I mix this or how should I. You know, should the third chorus be? Should I add another chorus, or should I? What What are these songs going to? What's this song going to be about? What is this? Are these lyrics dumb? Are they going to be good enough? And mm-hmm. and and so, uh, I guess the the number one message I would say is to trust your own creative instincts, oh. because ultimately that's that's yeah. it, it. That's going to give you better results than agonizing over something. Right. The second uh, guessing and looking yeah. at things twice and stuff like that, yeah. And yeah. that's where that's where shooting JPEG be, can really help. And I, I, when I look at all these videos that I do, they all sort of tie together uh, with this with this theme: is trust your creative instincts, and uh, because agonizing is doesn't get you anywhere. You know, no. it, it it just it just makes drives us deeper into this rabbit hole. Right. And then you end up being the the person with a thousand raw files from this trip and that trip, and you're three trips behind, and and the people at work are still going, "Hey, can we see your pictures?" And you go, right. "Well, yeah. I still haven't <laughs> processed them all yet." <laughs> yeah, and it, and it moves you away from like like I I think the next step is like, well, do I really want to bring my camera with me? Do I really want to shoot this stuff? Like you know, yeah. The idea is, do you want to keep doing this? Like. I'm never going to stop shooting. I, you know, I keep imagining. I'm also learning photography constantly. I never think I've reached any point of like I, I'm a master of anything. I keep learning about everything. I'm learning about you. Yeah. I learn about your techniques. I learn about this person. Your pictures show me a world that I didn't see before. It's ongoing. But to stack, to stop that, to like, I can't carry this. I can't do this. You know, I got to sit in front of Lightroom for an hour. I don't want to see my own pictures. Like yeah. that is not. That is poisonous. You know. Yeah, that's, that's not work. that doesn't foster creativity. That doesn't yeah. foster a healthy mindset. And, yeah. and so the other thing that I uh, that I try to put across, um, I think this is a the universal topic with photography is is we need to remember that photography is not about reproducing a subject exactly. And I right. think this is I think this is a lot of what what drives people into the rabbit hole because when I talk to people like why do you feel you need to shoot raw? What what did you do with this photo? Well, I want to make sure I can process all the tones that I saw in the scene with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And for me, for th- photography is not about reproduction. It's about representation. It's art. Art is about representation and abbreviation. And in fact, the less you show, the more you inspire, the more you uh, inspire your, your viewers to activate their brains and imagine what's missing in the scene, what, what, what you're not showing. And then that, once you engage their brain, then they're hooked because then they can start going places like, well, what's missing? Well, what was there? Well, what's the right. rest of the story? Right. Well, where was he? What? How did this picture unfold? I wonder what happened. And suddenly you have a successful photograph because you engage the the viewer, and the viewer is half the process. And you called that a, an abbreviated view of the world, which I liked as a as yeah. a phrase, right? Just and not so, showing everything. 
trying to and then also helps you create your own vision too right it's like you know what are the things that you focus on what is it like i i look at this painting but look i'm really interested in that little part over there that's my thing is that little thing on the right side i'm not interested in this whole in the whole thing yeah or rather when you look at the scene uh and you say well yeah what there's all the stuff in front of me but what is it about this scene that excites me the most or that intrigues me in the moment yeah and maybe in another moment something else will intrigue you and that's and that's where uh every that's where trusting your instincts in the moment because those moments reflect who you are and what's going on in your brain in that moment and maybe if you go by the next day then you'll be ex- and drawn to some other aspect of the Something scene else, because yeah. you've got different stuff running around inside your brain. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Anyway, I'm gonna. there's two more things I want to ask you quickly and I'm going to wrap up just because I, I could probably talk to you in front of another hour. Oh, yeah. One of the things I, I thought was great, I loved that you went and did the tilt-shift effect on the Fuji, that you went and, and dived into something that I'm like, I don't want to touch. <laughs> it's This is like, you got to be crazy like to even use this and then when i watched you uh, it was almost like this bit of curiosity uh like a like a kid doing something new and i decided to look at it somewhat differently it was really my mind shifted about that uh no pun intended tilt shift i tilt shifted about that <laughs> after i saw like your your enthusiasm about it so yeah the miniature mode the miniature the mode yeah. yeah and you know i'm very much not a big fan of all the little extra modes on cameras yeah, but um, which is I, exactly you know, why I did that video, because <laughs> you're the guy I'm trying to reach. I th- you're I the... Thank you for that. That's, yeah. You know, well, so, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm in a mindset where, like you talked about Akros uh, films uh, shooting at 12,000 and I'm watching your video. I tend to watch these videos late at night. Right. And I'm sitting on my couch and my Elizabeth, my wife's asleep. And the cat's next to me. You're talking about Akros at, at, at twelve thousand eight hundred. And so I'm sitting there with my Fuji, and I'm like, all right. I dial in Acros at 12, 1,200, and I start shooting my cat, who's a very photogenic cat. And I'm like, I dig what you're saying. You know, like, I get it. And, like, it's, it's like not to edit myself, right, to, like, yeah. okay, go with it. And then so the same thing with your tilt-shift effect. I haven't quite fully done everything with that yet. But, well, it's but kind of tricky it, to, to use the miniature. You know, you it have, is. It you is. have to it, understand how it works, and you have to kind of figure out how – and and so I've used it enough that I I understand how it's going to affect my scenes. Yeah, and and uh, I, I, for me it was a simple write off. Like it's an effect I don't want to do it. But after yeah. watching what you're talking about, and even just you're saying now that it does take some some doing to figure out how to get the best things. And I and I see some of your shots where you're using it really effectively. Uh, it made me think differently. So I just want to thank you for yeah. that as a as a person. Yeah, of, you're welcome. Like, yeah, so like I'm one, I'm a one-way person. Like my blinders are on, and, and you're yeah. opening up a little bit. The last thing I want to just quickly ask you: about, you talk about your your bush pilot, and I'd love to talk to you more about your your flying. Uh, I'm looking at your pictures of those these the the Cessnas with the giant tires, which I've never actually seen before. These big, fat tires. Yeah, tundra tires or bush wheels. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I'm guessing you're shooting and you're flying, and like, how are you taking shots from your plane? Are you just so my plane is, it's a 1947 Cessna 120. Oh, really? Wow. It has okay. an 85-horsepower motor, which is like uh, pretty much a glorified lawnmower engine. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my, my, it's, it's horizontally opposed air-cooled. So my friend uh, uh, is an automobile enthusiast, and he said it's uh-huh. like a Porsche 911 motor. 
Oh, really? Yeah, horse, horizontally opposed, air-cooled. Air but okay. his, you know, of course, a Porsche probably has more power than my little Cessna. Way more Probably power. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but anyway, so uh, I fly, what I'll do is I'll take off, usually about an hour before sunset. Uh, uh-huh. uh, that's the ideal time. I fly at different times of the day, but, but that's kind of the ideal time, especially in the wintertime. Uh, uh-huh. So I take off, and I fly around these mountain scenes, and I... I I get the plane so it's slowed down a little bit and it's um, flying at a constant speed. And then I open the window and I just use the LCD screen to frame my shots. Uh-huh. And okay. and almost everything is is Velvia, straight Velvia JPEGs. Uh, although I, I do like shooting, uh, I'll do miniature stuff sometimes yeah, yeah. and Acros. Yeah. But Velvia. That could be really my, nice up there too, I imagine, yeah. Yeah, but Velvia is my favorite for aerials because yeah. it's it's a tailor made for that stuff. These yeah. brilliant bold afternoon light colors, and and so I just do kind of these shallow turns around big mountains uh, from a safe distance, uh, and not really. So doing you got one hand on the on the one hand on, on the, the yoke, one hand yeah, on, on, the, the, on the yoke, and yeah. the other hand on your camera. Yeah, and, and in fact, so you can see that when you I made a video called Aerial Adventure, uh-huh. uh huh, and that was I put that one out. Uh, this winter that was in January I put that out and it's called aerial adventure and it's basically a little documentary uh, of me prepping the plane in frigid temperatures and shoveling snow and preheating the engine and then taking off and flying around the mountains and then landing but flying around and shooting photos out the window Uh, and I set it to some really cool original music that I wrote and, yeah. And, okay. And recorded. With that's a really, on the really cool guitar solo. <laughs> I used to. I asked this I, uh, way back when, when I was working at the Image Bank. We had an aerial aerial photographer who I will not mention by name. Uh, but what I learned, he used to put it into like a slow stall, uh, and you know he was shooting not digitally. He was shooting with film. So I guess he was figuring out some way to like look through the viewfinder. Yeah. Uh, while put it while the plane was in some sort of slow stall, which sounds really kind of. Yeah, uh, I, I have a friend. In some I have way. a friend who's been. He has a Luscombe, which is basically the same as my Cessna, and he's been doing aerial photography for way longer than I have. And so, yeah, you you, you basically. So we, I'm just trimming the plane. You just basically slow the plane down and trim it. So you're uh-huh. so the nose attitude is up, and you're flying more slowly. Uh, and you could trim it so that you could fly. You know, whoop, get the mic <laughs> you, you could trim it. You know, you you could set it so you were flying basically just above sp- stall speed if you wanted. I uh-huh. tend I tend to maintain more speed. I usually slow down to about 80, 70 to eighty miles an hour, uh-huh. uh, because I'm in mountain terrain can be dangerous. And if I encounter any kind of wind or buffeting or yeah, yeah any yeah. situation, I need to get off quickly. It's better to be carrying more speed. Um, but anyway, yeah, you 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 can slow the plane down. But I I tried shooting some aerials with my Nikon's before I switched to Fuji. And not only were the colors really boring, because I shot everything in raw. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Only, in fact, one day I shot side by side, and I was blown away. I was like, okay, "Oh, really? Okay. okay, yeah, yeah." There's no comparison. Yeah. But the other thing is that looking through the viewfinder, especially with a long lens, when you're trying to fly a plane, is just not the most. Uh, it just is kind of unnerving. Like, yeah. Should I be doing this? This doesn't seem very smart. <laughs> yeah. The sad thing about this guy's photography, I just mentioned guy, but it's, uh, yeah. this guy's photography was that it would often come back. He must have had a problem with his lens because it was always like that hair bit unsharp. Yeah. You know? My friend had the same thing. He would always say that. And he shot Canon 
and he said that that first like his lens he had trouble calibrating his lens and he would have trouble with that and i never had any trouble with with any of my fuji lenses or even my nikon lenses yeah well good for you but this guy i mean it was really a, it was so uh you know, we'd get like 2,000 pictures from this photographer. I'd plop them down on the light yeah. box. I'd start looking through them. I'm like, oh, no, it's out of focus, out of focus, uh, out of focus. You have, to look at, you have to loop each one really closely. I'm like, yeah. damn, you know? And it's like, you could just tell the amount of work that the guy worked, went through. So. I know, that's so frustrating. Yeah. Did you did you ever see the movie um, uh, Never Cry Wolf? Yeah. Yeah, so and I picture, when you talk about being a bush pilot, I picture like you being like a Brian Dennehy type. Yeah, so I, I do have a beard, and it's kind of gray, yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm much much smaller than stocky Brian Denny. Yeah, but you wouldn't hang out the airplane to try to fix it, would you? Uh, no, no, I haven't done that yet. Uh, and, of course, my plane is way smaller and less expensive. But I have That's flown— That's a great movie, right? Uh, it, yeah, That's it was a cool movie. It's a fantastic movie. I actually movie. have flown beavers from the right seat. Oh, really? And I actually landed one on skis one time oh. from the right seat. So that was my, that's my glory story. Oh, gosh. Um— Dan, I, I I don't want to take up any more time, and uh, I could do this all day. It, I could do this all day. What else I, am I going to do? We got co- we got outside Dallas. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> well, I I hope you save some for another time. I'd love to have you back and uh, find out more about what's going on with you. Um, but for the audience who may not know about you, how can we, how can they find you uh, around? So my website is danbaileyphoto.com. Uh, my social media and Patreon is Dan Bailey Photo. And from my blog, well, even my YouTube, YouTube Dan Bailey Photo. Uh, if you go to my blog, you can find, uh, that's kind of the central, that's kind of the best area to land. I've got that links to everything. My eBooks, my YouTube channel, uh, all my blog posts that have tons of information on there. Ton, tons of ways to waste valuable hours of your day and weeks <laughs> on my blog and my YouTube channel. Yeah, and, I will and, say that your book is great. I mean, it was like the first book I bought to, to you know, instead of the manuals for my Fuji camera. So uh, I appreciate you having written that. So. Well, yeah, and I appreciate yeah. me having written that too because uh, it's uh, it it has really turned out to be an incredibly successful uh, venture uh, in in not just it, it's my best selling ebook, but also I I know that it has helped so many people, and it has helped people gain that confidence with their cameras and when you gain that confidence you can go out and have more fun yeah um and so it's really and i wrote it exactly for those people who came from dslrs and brought all their old dslr habits and had no idea what they could do with their fujis because i had just seen it i just had given a workshop that the week before i wrote it sat down to write it i i had was out teaching a workshop and i then i went and taught a presentation at glazer's camera uh, and and uh, and during the talk, people just kept raising their hands. Well, can I do this? Can I do? Can the Fuji do this? Can I do this with the XT2? How do we do this with the XT2? I was like, well, okay. just hang on a week, and I'll I'll yeah. write a book about it. And I was like, okay, before you can be okay, you got it. You made it. Me, I did a book. I'm gonna go home and write all this stuff down. So I got home and I immediately got my laptop and I set all my Fujis in front of me, and I just sat there and started. I just like the method was I just pulled up, open the XT, just turn on the XT2. And I wrote chapter headings for every single menu item. Nice. Said, nice. And then I just started cranking away. And a month later, it was done. Well, fantastic job so, on it. Hey. So, yeah, thank you for buying it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, honestly, it's the only thing that's keeping me going right now is, is people, <laughs> people still buying that, that one ebook. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to link it up in the show notes. And anybody who's listening to it and who's got a Fuji, buy it. If you don't have a Fuji, buy it because then you'll want to buy a Fuji after yeah. you lose a book. So, I think it. But, uh, 
Dan, thank you so much for your time today, and great to share some stories with you. And yeah, it's really uh, it's been really fun to talk to Antonio. I, I hope you'll uh, think about coming back to the show. Yeah, okay. I, please, please have me back, and and uh, yeah. I enjoyed talking with you. I'm glad to that we could do this today. It's great to meet. All right, talk to you later. Thanks. And that opening quote was from Dan Bailey himself. I really want to thank Dan for spending some time with me. We ended up talking another about another hour after the show was done. And, uh, you know, I probably could talk to him for another few hours. I think we had uh, a lot to say, but I really appreciate him spending his time with us. And I uh, hope you guys like it, too. So, look, go go check out his website. Go check out his YouTube channel. And uh, let's just... Uh, Let's be all creative and uh, spend our energy as well. And thanks again, Dan. I really appreciate it. It really helped me to talk to you. Uh, Got my energy levels going. So, uh, hey, you know what? Until next time, uh, and I don't know when next time will be. I'm not going to set a schedule. I'm going to put out a show when I'm feeling up to it and when I'm up to it. And hopefully, um, you know, uh, I'll get more than, uh, maybe I'll get more than twice a month. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, hang in with me. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening. And uh, hope you're all well and take care of each other. As as Dan would say, take care of each other. Uh, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Thanks.